The first reading is from Isaiah chapter 10, verses 10 to 14. Isaiah 7, verse 10, the sign of Emmanuel. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. The birth of Jesus Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good, thank you, uh, Simon and Sue, for reading so clearly to us and bringing God's word in that way. We're going to seek God's help as we try and understand it now. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit, who is our teacher and interpreter. And so as we come to your word, we pray that you will open our hearts to it and that you will open our word, your word to our hearts, that we may understand, that we may be encouraged and live by it. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, as you all will know, our theme for this Christmas time uh, has been and is 
God with us on our card. That's what's uh, said there, and that is what the services have been focusing on. And I want to continue with that theme this morning and to offer you, really, a brief uh, reflective meditation on the word and the name Emmanuel. God is with us. You'll notice I, 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 I've called this uh, sermon, God is with us, so I've added the little word is in there. We're on fairly familiar territory with the gospel story that has been read to us, but perhaps a little less familiar with the prophecy in Isaiah, though we do know that the birth of Jesus was prophesied by Isaiah, we know that, uh, some 700 years or so before the birth of Jesus. So what might God be saying to us from the words that uh, are there for us? God is with us. I want to bring you, uh, you've been no surprise, three particular thoughts from uh, these words. And the first is, they tell us about the person of Jesus. And in these simple words, just one syllable each, God with us, there is very profound theology. And I think it'd be good if we just remind ourselves of this. First, Jesus is fully God. God is with us. And John's Gospel makes that very clear. The Word was God and was with God from the very beginning. And we beheld his glory, says John, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then we have many sayings of Jesus himself. He who has seen me has seen the Father. He who receives me receives him who sent me. And that amazing saying, before Abraham was, I am, taking that name of the great revelation of God, the eternal God given to Moses, I am who I am, and Jesus takes that upon himself and says, I am, I am the eternal God. Before Abraham was, I am. I and my Father are one. And it's interesting, the Jews understood what he was saying. They decided they wanted to um, capture him and they wanted to uh, deal with him uh, because they understood and they regarded it as blasphemy that he was actually claiming to be God. They understood that. And then, of course, there were the miracles that demonstrated that he was God. I mean, the control over creation, peace be still to the waves and so on, and the raising of Lazarus. All, all the various miracles demonstrate they were signs of his glory. And then we have Paul's teaching. All the fullness of God dwelt in him bodily. He, being in very nature God, became a servant and was made in human likeness. So we have a lot of teaching there that Jesus is God. And then as well as being fully God, Jesus is fully a human being. That came through in that Philippians passage as well. He who was in the form of God, the very being of God, took on himself the form of a servant and became a human being. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He had a human, a truly human body as a boy and as he grew up and became a man. 
so that he was thirsty. He could weep. He was hungry. He felt emotions of love. He looked on a young man and loved him. He felt the emotion of joy. He used to go to parties and weddings. He felt the emotion of sadness when he lost his friend Lazarus. He felt the emotion of anger at the Pharisees and others who were abusing the temple precincts or they were living hypocritical lives. He could touch and be touched. He suffered in his body. He bled, he died. All very human, fully human. Not only a human body, but he experienced what it's like to live as a human being. He, shared, he shares our experience of life. He had uh, wonderful friends. He loved friendship. He loved joy. He enjoyed himself at the weddings and the parties he went to. At the same time, as I've already mentioned, he experienced great sadness. He experienced rejection by people. He experienced desertion, even by his close friends. He experienced betrayal. He was fully human in terms of his body and of his experience. So he is the God-man, or the incarnate one. Incarnate just being the Latin for in the flesh. The incarnate God, God incarnate. And it's a great mystery, isn't it? It is really a mystery. I mean, the early church found this, and there were people in the early church times who, who said, you know, how can this be? Um, if he's fully God, then he only just appeared to be a human being. You know, he's really fully God, but he wasn't really human. And there were others who said, well, he was a real man, therefore he couldn't actually be God as well. And they, various heresies came about, and they had a big council of the church at Nicaea in AD 325 when they sought to resolve all this, and they came out with these words, which we still use today and have been used down the centuries to affirm the nature of Jesus as fully God and fully man. God from God, true God from true God, of one being with the Father, was incarnate and was made man. But we still know there's a mystery, and Scripture accepts there's a mystery about that. Paul writes, Great is the mystery of godliness, God manifest in the flesh. It's a mystery that fills us with wonder and worship and amazement. And no one captured this better than Charles Wesley in some of the lines that he wrote. Listen to this. Let earth and heaven combine, angels and men agree to praise in songs divine the incarnate deity, our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. So he's fully affirming the truth there of God as Jesus, as God and man, but saying it is something we can't understand. Incomprehensibly made man. The more familiar words we have in the carol we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, don't we? Wonderful words again by Charles Wesley. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. So, 
the person of Jesus, this word Emmanuel. And I'm covering familiar territory there, but I think it's good that we remind ourselves of it and are able to affirm it and to say, yes, it is a mystery. We cannot understand it, but we still believe it and know it to be true. Jesus, the person of Jesus. The second thing that I'd like to reflect on for a few moments is the meaning of these words as the presence of God. God is with us, the presence of God. But was God just present in Jesus then? What about the Old Testament? So I want to just trace for a moment that God is present and has been present in his world and among people right from the very earliest times. God was indeed present from all eternity, there, somewhere. And at creation, God was clearly present in his world. And although Adam was and Eve were sent away from the presence of God because of their disobedience, nonetheless, he, God is still present and meets with people. And this happened time and again, if you trace it through the Old Testament. I'll just give you a few examples. So when Jacob, for example, was fleeing away from Esau and he lay down to go to sleep and he had that wonderful dream of the ladder and the angels of God going up and down. When he awoke, he said, I've met with God here. And he called the place Beth-el, the house of God. And he said, surely God is in this place. He experienced the presence of God. Take the Israelites as they were going through the wilderness. Moses went up onto the mountain, and there was all the smoke and the thunder, and met with God. And as he came down and they built the tab, they made the tabernacle. The reason they did that was to express that God was with them. He was present with his people. And that presence was symbolized by the ark so that when they took the ark into battle, they would win, and if they didn't take the ark into battle, they would lose. I mean, that's oversimplifying, but in a sense, that was what, it was the symbolizing, if God was with them, they were all right, but sometimes he wasn't because of their disobedience. And there was great joy when they took the ark into Jerusalem, because they were, as it were, bringing God with them into the center of their worship. And so it is through the Old Testament, and the Psalms are full of relationship with God. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And time and again, this close relationship, God's presence with his people and with uh, the psalmists comes through. And then we come to Isaiah and the passage that Sue read to us where the word Emmanuel is used. Now, the history at that point is very complex. It took me ages sort of working it all out and thinking about it and thinking, what, what is this? And I still don't think I understand it. But there were two kingdoms, the, king, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The kingdom was divided, you remember that, after the reign of Solomon. And uh, Isaiah uh, goes to see the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, who was being threatened by an alliance of the northern kingdom with Syria. It's amazing how Syria features so often in these things, isn't it? Syria and the northern kingdom were threatening Judah, the southern kingdom. And so Isaiah, the Lord through Isaiah, says to him, ask God for a sign. 
And Ahaz, the king, says, no, I'm not going to bother to test the Lord and ask for a sign. And God says, well, I'm going to give you one anyway. And the sign I'm going to give you is that a woman is going to have a baby and the name will be Emmanuel. And nobody quite is sure, really, as to who this child was. Some people think it was the son that Isaiah himself had through uh, his marriage with the prophetess, whose name was Mahashal Hashbaz. You've got that, have you? <laughs> and, um, but some people think it might have been someone else. But whoever it was, it didn't really matter too much because the main thing is that the, he, he's saying through this babe that God is with us. God is with you, people of Judah. And no matter what happens, God is still with you. And even when the northern kingdom it was overrun, and even when the southern kingdom was overrun, and the people were taken off to Babylon, they were assured God was with them in that exile and then their return. It's interesting, after the chapter that Sue read to us, in chapter 8 of Isaiah, if you read it, the word Emmanuel comes again twice assuring them God is with them. So, that's what we learn from that prophecy, that despite the opposition, despite the warfare, despite the seeming defeats, God was still with them. In times of trouble, God is present. So, if God is present in these various ways right through the Old Testament, what's so special about the word Emmanuel in the New Testament? And I think the answer is that the very distinctive thing that happened was that God himself was not only present, but became a human being. So we go back to our theology. The person of Jesus was the distinctive thing here, that God himself became a human being. That was the new thing that God did in Jesus. And so Matthew takes this word Emmanuel from the prophecy and applies it to Jesus. He said, actually, Jesus is the second and better fulfillment of this word Emmanuel. Many of the prophecies in the Old Testament have several fulfillments. They have a fulfillment at the time, they have a fulfillment often in Jesus, and they have often a fulfillment in the end times. So prophecy has these various phases of fulfillment, and this was... The, what Matthew says, here is the real fulfilment in the person of Jesus. So we have the presence of God with his people and in the world. So they're the two things we've looked at so far in this reflection, that the, these words, God is with us, speak of the person of Jesus and the presence of God. Third thing, I want to bring to you from these words, God is with us, is that they are for us the promise of Scripture. Here we have that God is for us in what he has spoken in the Bible. And I want now to relate that to our lives today, uh, that God is with us, and this is a fantastic promise for us in all the different ups and downs and circumstances of our lives because life, life is not always easy or straightforward as we all know but he gives us this wonderful promise and I want to just paint a few scenarios that you may be able to identify with some of them.
Now, for some of you, you may be facing an uncertain future. And there's a lovely promise in Exodus 33, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Years and years ago, I read that in my uh, morning reading and I was facing an interview for a job that day and it just happened to be in the reading. And it really, God really spoke to me through that and gave me this promise that whatever happened about this job interview, I would have peace. My presence will go with you, whether you get it or you don't. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And that was so reassuring. As it happened, I did, it was my first teaching job and I did get it. But if I hadn't got it, I would still have had peace about it facing an uncertain future. It may be that we have a sense of inadequacy or fear about something. Or we can remember the words that God spoke to Joshua, who had that same sense. Be strong, do not be afraid, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Isn't that wonderful? Whatever might be facing us, we have the promise of God's presence to give us the strength to go forward. Or we may be facing something that seems overwhelming, like ill health or difficulty in a relationship or at work. We don't know where to turn. God made a wonderful promise about his presence to Isaiah and that we can receive for ourselves. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. You are precious in my sight, and I love you. So you're not on your own, whatever might be facing you. In, um, I don't know whether you see uh, Christianity, but uh, just in this month's Christianity, there's just a couple of examples of this exact kind of thing. Here was uh, someone who, who's... Um, uh, uh, one of their family was very, very unwell and um, her young son, it says here, uh, was seriously ill. And they write this, but now I know it's not only my problem but God's, she related. I know that God's, God is in the midst of pain and suffering. It was that phrase that I thought was so helpful. God is in the midst of pain and suffering. And when I meet people in pastoral, what I do, who are going through pain and suffering, so often they know that God is with them in it. And the very next article is by Rob Parsons, who, whose daughter was very, very unwell. And um, he, he says this, uh, that it was a very dark time. And if the very worst happens, he prays, please hold me in this darkness. And then he says, when I found myself asking, do I trust God in, in, as, as to, keep, uh, to keep me at this time, whatever happens, to be holding me? And I discovered that I did. I discovered that God was holding me. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. It may be that you're facing death or have experienced bereavement and loss and loneliness. Now, those wonderful words in Psalm 23 that have been such a blessing to many, aren't there? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You are not on your own. God is with us. It may be facing something you found that you can't cope with, that is, or perhaps even unthinkable and difficult, a difficult decision maybe. And actually, I was facing this quite a few years ago, and I came across this in my reading, uh, the words that God spoke to Jacob in Genesis. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, the place he didn't really want to go to. I will go down to Egypt with you. And that's what I did, and I found it to be so. When I followed what I thought was not an easy pathway, or wouldn't be, when I look back, I know that God was in it. And it may be in your personal witness. It's hard or difficult in your own evangelism or your discipling of people or your serving of God. Jesus promises, doesn't he, when he says, go and make disciples of all nations. I am with you. Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So God is with us. Jesus is with us. How? Not physically, of course. But Jesus himself said, I will ask the Father, I'm going away. But I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, to help you and be with you forever. He lives with you and will be in you. He lives with you and will be in you. So we have the Holy Spirit to be with us. God is with us. Yes, in the person of Jesus, but in us, by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And we want him daily to fill our lives, don't we? And to guide us and to be open to him because he is the one who, as it were, manifests in us the presence of God. God is with us by his Spirit. I don't know how conscious you are of God being with you. Sometimes you think, oh, I don't think about that much every day. Um, or there are hours gone when I'm so occupied with gardening or work and thinking about this, that, and the other. I don't really think about God. The way I like to think about the presence of God with us is rather like breathing. That we are breathing all the time. But we don't think about it very much, do we? We sometimes do. Sometimes we do think about how we're breathing. If we get out of breath and so on, we, we think about it. But most of the time don't, but it's still there. And it's interesting, the word for the spirit is the same word as breathing, it's pneuma. The same word is spirit and breath. And the spirit, God is with us all the time. Sometimes we're very conscious of that, and sometimes we're not so. But the fact we're not conscious of it doesn't mean it's tr not true. It is true, God is still with us all the time. And we can be assured of that by his spirit, his promised, Emmanuel, I am with you. So, this is the promise of God. We've seen then in this reflection these three things that it says to us quite a lot about the person of Jesus. God is with us, Emmanuel, the person of Jesus. The presence of God in his world and this is the promise of God through Scripture to each one of us, that God is with us. And we can rejoice in that, and we can take comfort and strength as we wait upon him for that. Whatever your pathway might be, 
God is with you is his promise. Amen. Let's have a time of prayer and response to God's word. You can leave quite a little bit of silence that we can just receive afresh God's presence by his spirit. But I'll introduce it with a couple of words of scripture from the Psalms, and then I'll finish with a prayer. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And another phrase that I came across a few weeks ago in the Psalms, as for me, how good it is to be near God. Let's just experience God's nearness. Open our hearts to the Spirit afresh now. Wait upon him for whatever God might have shown you during this service this morning, or whatever your need may be, ask God to draw near and to fill you with himself.